0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America, N.A. Member FDIC.
1: Hello, 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 and welcome, everyone, to the Song Facts podcast. I am your holiday host, Corey O'Flanagan. This podcast is proudly a part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, even a little bit more proud today, and I will tell you about that shortly. I assume if you're hearing this, you know how to listen to podcasts, and I'd like to say that I'm ready to take our relationship to the next level this coming year, you heard it right. So feel free to stuff my stocking with some kind reviews and hit that subscribe button, and uh, let's... End the year off with a bang and start the next one off with some great music. I already have some of this stuff in the can. You are going to love some of the new people that I am bringing to your ears. So tune in on today's episode. This is going to be quite a bit different, but I think you're really going to enjoy it. I have recruited the help of a handful of other hosts from the Pantheon Music family to put together some short clips of holiday songs that are near and dear to them and had them send them to me. By this time, you might be tired of hearing the normal music that hits the airwaves at this time of year. I know I can certainly have that happen, even though I am a fan. Um, But I can tell you that with this lot of people, you won't be hearing anything traditional, well, besides my own song choice, of course. So, to kick it off, I'm going to start this soiree with an oldie but goodie, and that is John Lennon and Yoko Ono's Happy Christmas War Is Over. So grab a Ben and Jerry's, an eggnog, a hot chocolate, maybe spiked with a little peppermint schnapps like my mom used to give me, or whatever makes you merry, and join us as Song Facts presents the Pantheon Podcast holiday music special and
2: you won't just be gone. and so this is
1: Alright, so Happy Christmas, or Xmas as it is spelled, War is Over, by John Lennon and Yoko Ono, who wrote this in their New York City hotel room and recorded it during the evening of October 28th and into the morning of 29th in 1971 at the record plant in New York. It was released in the US for Christmas, but didn't chart. The next year, it was released in the UK, where it did much better charting at number four. Eventually, the song became a Christmas classic in America, but it took a while. So Lennon and Ono produced this with the help of Phil Spector, who he had brought in four guitarists to play acoustic guitars, Hugh McCracken, who had recently played on Paul McCartney album Ram, Chris Osborne, Stu Scharf, and Teddy Irwin. According to Richard Williams, who was reporting on the session for Uncut, when Lennon taught them the song, he asked them to pretend it's Christmas. When one of the guitarists said he was Jewish, John told him, well, pretend it's your birthday then. As for the other personnel, John Keltner played drums and sleigh bells, Nicky Hopkins played chimes and glockenspiel, Keltner and Hopkins were part of Lennon's Plastic Ono Band, and a third member, Klaus Vormann, was supposed to play bass on this track, but got stuck on a flight from Germany. One of the guitarists brought in for the session covered the bass, which nobody seems to remember. This is a very unusual Christmas song. Instead of evoking sleigh bells and mistletoe, it asks us to think about... Those who live in fear and collectively bring about the end of war. The call to action is the refrain, War is over if you want it. The children's voices singing this refrain are from the Harlem community choir who were brought in to sing on this track. They were credited on the single along with Yoko and the Plastic Ono Band. And to me, there's just something just so nice to be hearing these children singing those powerful lyrics. Uh, the chords and melody borrow heavily from the traditional English folk standard skew ball, in particular, the 1963 version titled Stewball by Peter, Paul, and Mary. In 1969, John and Yoko had put billboards up in major cities around the world. If you guys remember our episode um, covering 1969 Beatles, you will have heard a lot of this. And these billboards said, "War is over if you want it." Two years later, the slogan became the basis for the song when Lennon decided to make a Christmas record with an anti-war message. John also claimed another inspiration for writing the song, and he said that he was just sick of white Christmas. So there you have it—a little backstory for you on the John Lennon and Yoko Ono classic. All of these song facts can be found at the song facts website along with many more of your favorite tunes. So check it out and learn the stories behind the songs you love. You won't be hearing from me anymore on this episode as I turn it over to my Pantheon friends. So to you and yours, a very happy holiday season. And with gratitude, I want to thank you for listening and supporting this podcast. Thank you so very much. Stay safe. Stay safe be healthy and be merry next up we're going to have christian swain who hosts deeper digs and rock and roll archaeology so take it away christian
3: hey everyone christian swain here the host of rock and roll archaeology and deeper digs and the ceo of pantheon podcasts so christmas i fucking hate christmas I I don't hate the actual day of Christmas. I hate the lead up to Christmas. First of all, it starts in October, which is stupid, right? Uh, And goes right on through to December 26th. You know, it's a bit much, okay? But in the end, you know, on the day... Uh, and w- my family celebrated uh, on Christmas Eve. Uh, we come from European stock, uh, Northern European stock. I guess good it's it's, you know it's a kind of a thing. And um, you know it's, once it starts, uh, the food and the good cheer and the family and the friends and the drinking and the you know the, the twenty four hours is pretty goddamn good. But um, you know it's 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 before that. Okay, the song I am going to uh, highlight. And there were so many choices. Uh, I really had to think about this for a bit. But the song that probably meant the most to me uh, at Christmas, uh, especially rock and roll, um, was The Waitress's Christmas Rapping. uh, A 1981 song uh, by an obscure group. In fact, by far, this is their biggest hit. Uh, uh, other than I know what boys like. uh, You know, uh, it might be the only other one people know uh, uh, from them. But, uh, you know, a very interesting song, uh, 1981. Um, it was written by Chris Butler, the uh, the guitarist uh, in uh, in The Waitresses, uh, and um, sung by uh, Patti Donahue, uh, who uh, unfortunately passed away at the young age of forty in nineteen ninety six. Um, but this song just—I remember when it came on, uh, and it it, it it brought a joy to uh, to to my heart. Uh, whenever I would hear it, and it still does to this day. Great sax solo, by the way. Um, you know, it's a bit of a rap song. Uh, most people don't know that. And in fact, you know, hence the, you know, Christmas rapping, uh, not W, but the R rapping. And and let's face it, rap music was uh, brand new there. And in fact, if you want to think about it, um, there's a there's a bit of the of Blondie's rapture going on here. Uh, which had been released uh, earlier that year. Uh, and in fact, I think that had been mixed by our friend Lenny Spent, if I remember right, uh, who engineered uh, that uh, that album. Uh, but uh, it's it's such a fun song. Uh, ridiculous, uh, but, you know, perfect for a 20-something where everything's a mess and everything's, uh, you know, not working right. And But in the end, it still ends up being a great time, which is, you know, my point about Christmas. And let's face it, in this pandemic year 2020 um you know everything's a mess but i'm sure on that day things will be great so i hope you might enjoy it as much as i do whenever i hear it all right hey happy holidays merry christmas happy hanukkah kwanzaa whatever it is you celebrate just have fun and be safe
4: he has me with the world's smallest turkey and hot. Oh damn! Guess what I forgot? So on with the boots back out in the snow to the only all-night grocery. When what's my wondering eyes should appear in the line is that guy I've been chasing all year and this one alone.
5: Hi, this is Brad Page from the I'm in love with that song podcast, and it's great to be part of this Song Facts holiday special. The very first rock and roll album I ever owned was the Beach Boys Christmas album, and ever since then, I've had a thing for Christmas songs. What I really love is something original, something we haven't heard before. Now, not every new song is an instant Christmas classic. For example, King Coleman's Holiday Season. The holiday season rolling around, and people all shopping all over town for candies
4: and toys and dresses and ties. Boys for their girls and girls for their guys. The window
6: all
5: so That didn't really catch on. And do you remember The Peppermint Engineer by Joni Summers?
2: so dear Oh an i believe in christmas and a sprinkle of magic love he became the engineer on the train this world will love Peppermint, 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 Peppermint he came to life from the candy to-
5: no i didn't think so but i'm always looking for something different and every once in a while you find a real gem one of my all-time favorite christmas albums is the one Cindy Lauper released in 1998 called Merry Christmas, Have a Nice Life. There are a bunch of absolutely wonderful songs on this record, and it's really become part of my Christmas tradition. Here's a song called Feels Like Christmas. It was written by Cindy with Eric Bazilian and Rob Hyman, both from the Hooters. It originally appeared on her fourth album, Hat Full of Stars, but it found a perfect home here on her Christmas album. The song is built around a drum loop, but it integrates some traditional instruments for an Appalachian meets Cajun vibe that's an antidote to the same old, same old Christmas music. Here's Cindy Lauper with Feels Like Christmas. Enjoy.
7: This is LD from Rock and Roll Heaven, and if you're a fan of the show already, you probably know how much I actually hate Christmas music, except for one song, and that song is "Santa Baby" by Eartha Kitt. Eartha Kitt was born Eartha May Keith on January 17th, 1927, and was a singer, an actress, a dancer, a comedian, an activist, an author, and a songwriter. And she had such a rich life. She was known for her highly distinctive singing style and for her 1954 recording of C'est C'est Bon and the Christmas novelty song Santa Baby, both which reached the top 10 on the Billboard Hot 100. And Orson Welles once called her the most exciting woman in the world. Santa Baby was recorded by Eartha Kitt with Henri René and his orchestra, and it was originally released in 1953. It later appeared on Kitt's self-titled and first extended play in 1954. The song was written by Joan Javis and Philip Springer, who used the pseudonym Tony Springer in an attempt to speed up the song's publishing process. Springer initially was dissatisfied with Santa Baby and called it one of his weakest works. Springer, then in his late 20s, uh, objected to Kit. Kit is the sexiest woman in the world. You don't write Christmas songs that are sexy. How are we going to do that? Lyrically, the song is tongue-in-cheek, and it looks at a Christmas list addressed to Santa Claus by a woman who wants extravagant gifts such as sables, yachts, and decorations from Tiffany's. Not a woman after my own heart, but I do appreciate the cynicism which she embraces the Christmas spirit. It's exactly how I embrace Christmas. Kit recorded the single Live with Renee and his orchestra on October 5th, 1953, kind of cutting it close for Christmas. At a recording studio in New York City. The song was first distributed later that month in a release handled by RCA Victor in the United States and Canada. And to promote the single, the record label had purchased a page of advertisements in weekly journals like Billboard and marketed it as 1953's Big Christmas record. And following the release of Santa Baby in 1953, there are areas of the southern United States that implemented bans on the song that prevented rotation on the radio stations and the distribution of the release of physical singles. Santa Baby has been parodied, referenced, and featured in various films and TV series. It was also covered by a ton of artists like Kylie Minogue, Taylor Swift, Colby Calais, Michael Buble, Trisha Yearwood, Robbie Williams, and... Madonna. Kit really disliked Madonna's association with the track. On August 1989, Billboard released Christmas Greatest Hits, 1935 to 1954, a collection of 10 popular Christmas tracks in the United States in which Santa Baby was included in the track listing. And years later, it appeared on catalog albums such as Eartha Kit, 1979, At Her Berry Vest, 1981, The Very Best of Eartha Kit, 1982, Mink Schmink. 1989, Earthquake, 1993, perfect, Greatest Hits, 1999, Greatest Hits, 2000, Legendary, 2001, and Heavenly Eartha, 2002. And if you guys know anything about our show, we always have to end it this way. Kit died of colon cancer on Christmas Day of 2008 just short of her 82nd birthday, at her home in Weston, Connecticut. Her daughter, Kit Shapiro, described her last days with her. I was with her when she died. She w- she left this world literally screaming at the top of her lungs. She was home for the last few weeks when the doctor told us there was nothing that they could do. Up until the last two days, she was moving around. But when she left, she left the world with a bang. She left it how she lived it. She screamed her way out of here, literally, and... You know, thank you, Eartha Kitt, for giving me at least three minutes of some Christmas music I can actually enjoy. So from all of us here at Rock and Roll Heaven, in the name of LD, Will the Thrill, and TJ2, The Deuce, we wish you guys a very Merry Christmas. Santa, baby.
0: This is Mark from the Performance Anxiety Podcast on the Pantheon Podcast Network. Recently, we spoke with John Anderson at Yes, and we asked him about his Christmas album, Three Ships. We wanted to know what he thought about it 35 years later. He mentioned one thing in particular that probably could have helped the album a lot, and it just goes to show you that timing is everything. So, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the album, Three Ships. Uh, You're the only person I've had on here so far who's done a Christmas album, so that makes (laughs) you're unique in performance anxiety history. With that, if nothing else, even though there is a lot more. (laughs) But I was reading some reviews on it, and some some of the reviewers were saying that it was they they thought it was a a uh, a Christmas album incognito, and I thought that was a very bizarre statement seeing that it's got songs like three ships the holly and the ivy ding dong merrily on high jingle bells and oh holy night it was the (laughs) was the idea originally conceived as a christmas album
2: yeah it was always uh released at christmas i think the record company released it in january (laughs) 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 that kind of defeats the purpose (laughs) <laughs> but the, great, the, great thing, the great thing about the record, uh, you know, at the, at the end of the day, we did some working with some wonderful people, uh, gospel singers, uh, incredible gospel singer uh, on the record who sang A uh, oh Holy Night. We, she just walked in and sang it. It's like glorious. And, wow. Uh, you know, we, we finished the album. And I originally, I wanted to use uh, It's a Wonderful Life parts uh, from the from the movie. Oh. So I thought it would be very, like dovetailing the idea you know. Okay. This is way way back you know way way back. And uh, so we finished the album and what you do you finish the album and you, you finish it up on just quarter inch tape with tape. And there you have the album there and I was going to take it to New York to get it printed and mastered and everything. Okay. And they pulled out a box to put it in and I've been working for about a month on the album, so I was ready to go and excited, you know, to go to New York with the box, and they, they turned it over, and the box was actually the box that uh, EMI sent over Sgt. Pepper. Lonely Hearts from, you know, Sgt. Pepper records the Beatles. It oh was from the back, it on the back. Wow. It freaked me out because I thought, okay, I'm gonna have a hit album <laughs> and of course they released it in january uh, but over the years over the years people have loved it you know it's a fun lovely album about christmas and so that's all there is to it
0: oh i now i think it's fantastic and i like the originals too now was were, were the songs i guess they were, were they written specifically for that album because i know you do have a history of working on things for a very long time were, were any of those Adapted, or were they all written specifically for that album?
2: Yeah, they were all written for that album. Okay, and I dedicated the album to uh, Zuzu's Petals. Yeah, (laughs) Secret Parts,
0: and It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, I didn't realize that. That's awesome. Is it tough to sequence an album like that when you when you're working with traditional songs and and mixing your own originals in there?
2: Not really. The atmosphere was very, very. It was. We did it in October uh, into November of that year, and uh, very excited. And uh, you know, Christmas comes every year, but I have this feeling that this year especially is going to be an everlasting Christmas because something about Christmas that's very mystical and magical all over the world Yeah, not just in uh, in certain religions every every religion has a Christmas Yeah, because you know Christ's energy is in everybody it's like uh, I read this book years and years ago about uh, you know the initiation of the world and it's a beautiful book by this little old lady who lived in North London okay. Vera, St- Vera Stanley Alder and she said Christ is within everyone. We can have a Buddha, was a Christ, Krishna was a Christ, Mohammed was a Christ, but of course Jesus was a Christ. Right. So don't don't forget that we're all Christ energy. And I thought, I like that.
10: <laughs>
2: you know, we're going to need a good Christmas community. Yeah. Three ships come sailing in on Christmas Day, on Christmas Day. I saw three ships come sailing in on Christmas Day in the morning. What was in those ships all three on Christmas Day, on Christmas Day? And what was in those ships all three on Christmas Day in the morning? christ and his lady on christmas day on christmas day our savior christ and his lady on christmas day in the morning
11: best of the season out there to all you Pantheon Podcast listeners. This is Martin Popoff from History in Five Songs with Martin Popoff. So here's my story of a rock and roll Christmas song. Uh, This is a band I have on the brain right now because I am actually writing a book on them, Angel. uh, You remember these guys? They dressed all in white. Um, They actually kind of looked like snowflakes on stage, didn't they? Uh, They were on Casablanca. So uh, basically... Uh, they actually have their own uh, fide Christmas song uh, on their White Hot album, issued uh, January 3rd, 1978. So this is their fourth album. They only made five albums. Um, the, the last track on this record is a song called The Winter Song. It's written by lead singer Frank Domino, Greg Jafria, keyboardist, Punky Meadows, uh, the guitarist. Um, they had a little bit of a um, kerfuffle with the label. Uh, they wanted to call it The Christmas Song, uh, but The Label... Neil Bogart at Casablanca uh, wanted them to make it a little more generalized, so they changed it to the winter song, and they had to actually change a few of the lyrics. Um, but the Christmas song shows up as a rarity on, I believe, their anthology uh, compilation from 1992. You can get it in various places, but the winter song itself was issued as a single, and uh, yeah, it's your basic, uh, basic Christmas song written by a band that, like I say, if you look at pictures of Angel, I mean, their shtick was that they dressed all completely in white. They were the antithesis of. Of Kiss, so they looked very, um, they they looked very snowflakey. Um, but basically, uh, you know, probably the the highest heights Angel ever got to, in fact, was um, they got to go on American Bandstand with Dick Clark and actually mime that song, and then Dick came up to them after, and they had one of those awkward uh, little. You know, interview segments and uh, and Punky Meadows tells the story. Uh, you know, he had to think fast on his feet um, because uh, Dick Clark, when he got to Punky, he said, Hey, can you play this song? You know, they, he mentioned the Christmas song that, that's the biggest number one song of all time or whatever. And Punky says, No, I can't play that, but I can play Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. And he breaks into a little country western version of that because he was a big country fan and he used those banjo picks on his hands. And he was uh, sharing notes with Big Jim Sullivan when they were doing the first two angel albums um and uh, and jim actually taught him a little bit of that rudolph the red-nosed reindeer so he just for a brief second there breaks into this country version of, of rudolph right there live on uh on american bandstand so there you go the winter song totally sounds like a christmas song uh, just a good poppy song fits on this poppy uh, uh song or album from this era um they really liked the idea uh, angel liked the idea when uh, the beatles would put out these greeting sort of songs and bands would put out these seasonal songs and it was kind of uh done in that uh spirit so there you go the winter song angel on the white hot album
1: Song Facts Podcast, right after
2: this.
12: Hello, my name is Morris Bustynski. Huge thanks to Corey for allowing me into the Song Facts Podcast for this holiday episode to talk about a favorite holiday song. I normally host the Love That Album and See Here podcasts. Now, I guess I should be more prone to choosing a Hanukkah song rather than a Christmas song. Uh, I'm struggling a little bit to find really, truly great Hanukkah songs, although... Brad Page over at the I'm In Love With That Song podcast has introduced me to something really incredible, but I'll let him talk about that whenever he so chooses. The one Hanukkah song that I thought that would have been really great to talk about would have been Sharon Jones and the Dap King's song, Eight Days of Hanukkah. However, I have decided to go with a Christmas season song, but it's not your ordinary Christmas season song. The song I want to talk about is from 1996. It's written and sung by Australian songwriting icon Paul Kelly. It's called How to Make Gravy. Despite the title, it's not actually a cooking song, although a recipe for gravy is given in the song. I know that a lot of people actually sort of dispute that it really is a very good recipe for gravy, but I digress. In a way, this song could be compared to Tom Waits' "Christmas Card from a Hooker in Minneapolis," in that it's a letter from prison at Christmas time type of song, but it sort of ends there in terms of the comparison. So, "How to Make Gravy" is a terrific song with only a small number of chords: just E, F sharp minor, G sharp minor, with a couple of moments of. A, I think in there later on in the song, but really just basically this pattern of those three chords going up and down and up and down. It sort of gives off a little bit of a feel of Thunderclap Newman's Something in the Air. The song is sung from the perspective of a fellow in prison who's writing to his brother just a few days before Christmas and the family get together. We don't know why he's in prison. That's really not the point. One thing though, that would be interesting to the non-Australian audiences is that unlike all these Christmas songs from the Northern Hemisphere where it's always about trundling through the snow, this song is sung from the perspective of a hot Australian summer. A very common occurrence for Christmas Day can be that the thermometer reaches 40 degrees Celsius plus. the arithmetic for Fahrenheit for you Northern Hemispherians. The lyric starts ordinarily off enough with the letter writer just wanting to make sure that the family is all well, but as the song goes on, you can tell that he's really very, very upset that he's going to be away from his wife and his children while also making just casual inquiries about other members of the family and all the arguments that they're going to have, all the sorts of things that I guess normally go on at a Christmas lunch. Paul Kelly is regarded as one of this country's greatest songwriters, not because he uses thousands of long words, but because he manages to tell simple stories about ordinary people with the right words. And he's been studied in high school as well as enjoyed by fans of his music at concerts in the pubs. And he's been around for something like 40 years, but this song is one that I think he has never not played at a show since he actually released it and I believe he's even gone and played it in prison to mixed reactions but this is just such a perfect story of a man's desire to be with his family at Christmas time he can't be there through mistakes that he's made in his life and once again those mistakes are not outlined in the song that's not its purpose it's just a really great tale hope you enjoy it Paul Kelly how to make gravy
5: Hello
13: Dan, it's Joe here I hope you're keeping well It's the 21st of December Now they're ringing the last bell If I get good behavior
11: Kiss my kids on Christmas Day Please don't let them
5: cry for me
4: I guess the brothers are driving down from
1: Queensland
13: And Stella's flying in from the coast it's gonna be 100 degrees even more
2: maybe But that won't stop the road
14: Hey, it's Mistress Carrie, host of the Mistress Carrie Podcast right here on the Pantheon Podcast Network. I know, I couldn't think of another name, okay? I was on the radio in Boston at WAF for 22 years. And then they sold the station. I had to come up with a name fast. The Mistress Carrie podcast is a rock lifestyle podcast. We're not just talking to your favorite bands. We're introducing you to new bands. And we're talking about their lives, their touring, where they're from, what they eat, what they drink, what kind of mattress they sleep on. And it's all based right here in the greatest city on the planet, Boston, Massachusetts. Insert eye roll to anyone that's not from Boston here. And this holiday season... There's only one song that you need to listen to over and over again. Now, I like to tell people that the band was inspired by me. They wrote this song for me, and they recorded it as a holiday gift to me. Of course, none of those things are actually true. They're all total lies, but it sounds good when you hear the song. The truth is that this song is on an album that was released on September 21st of 1990. And you may have forgotten about it because it's on the same album as Thunderstruck and Money Talks. Yes, I'm talking about ACDC's The Razor's Edge. It was produced by Bruce Fairbairn and recorded in Dublin and in Vancouver. And the album spent 77 consecutive weeks on the Billboard chart. And sold over 5 million copies. And like I said, the song was written about me, inspired by me, and a gift to me. I know. Still a lie. The only song you need for Christmas this holiday season is ACDC's Mistress for Christmas.
13: Stephen Daniel Arnoff, host and creator of Bob Dylan about man and God and law. Bob Dylan and a rocking polka band around the stage. People are drinking and dancing. Dylan's wearing a thin, dirty blonde wig, a $9.99 special from Ricky's, and there's a Santa cap drooping from the top of his head. Must be Santa, because that's the name of the tune. Must be Santa. Every musical artist in it for the long haul has a few musical mountains to climb and dylan says that one of his was recording the sinatra catalog five whole albums worth of tunes and then there's perhaps the highest good tidiest mountain of them all the christmas album elvis did one bing crosby and the jackson five two and frank sinatra of course they all did christmas albums and so did bob dylan christmas in the heart it's called and must be santa was the single religion is serious business for dylan he told critic nat hentoff in the 60s that salvation was his main creative goal and in chronicles 40 years later he wrote that america was crucified and died on a cross only to be reborn after the original sin of slavery and that this theme drove everything that he wrote the kitschy tune the freewheeling bar fight with the song's protagonist jumping out the window to its escape while Dylan and a proper Saint Nick just shrug their shoulders to each other. These wacky scenes are just a bit of good, clean, weird fun, aren't they? There's no reason for it, except for the fact that Dylan asked himself what Frank would do, what Elvis would do, and that would be a Christmas album. Dylan is never an artist of a simple answer, nor a simple question. What would Elvis or Frank do also begs the question, what would Jesus do? What would God want us to do? What's it all about? The Christmas party in the song ends in broken glass and a bad hangover. There's also, underneath it, an ancient story of God taking a human form, a call for brotherhood, triumph, and triumphalism. We can enjoy Dylan at his silliest in his wig and cap sneaking amongst the hipsters, but we also remember that Dylan said in Going to Acapulco, Now if someone offers me a joke, I just say no thanks. I try to tell it like it is and stay away from pranks. Christmas in the heart and Must Be Santa are meant to bring a smile but also a pause of reflection what is this world this season this story of a divine visitor cast out the window of the world sure these are implied rhetorical questions but they're also very good questions and they've got some hard answers must be santa sure must be dylan too
15: Hey everybody, this is Mike from the Punk Tree Podcast. I'm here with Aaron and Jesse. Hey guys, welcome. And uh yeah, we're gonna spend a little bit of time talking about a uh, a Christmas. Maybe it's more of an Xmas song. Christmas or Xmas?
9: Uh I think this is Xmas. It's an Xmas song. This is song. probably Xmas. Yeah.
16: I'm more of a Christmas yeah. kind of a guy, but this is an Xmas song, yeah. Yeah.
15: Um, and so the song we picked is uh, a song called Father Christmas. It was originally written and recorded by the Kinks, but we are more specifically going to take a look at uh, the uh, a, a different version of it, a cover of it, right, Aaron?
9: Right. This is a, a version that Bad Religion did.
15: One of our favorites. Um, one of our favorites. And um, one of the reasons we chose a song um, in this season of... Black Fridays and Cyber Mondays and Taco Tuesdays, and whatever else reasons to spend money on all kinds of random shit you don't need. Um, this song's rad because it's super sarcastically uh, attacks the consumerism of the holiday, which I know is Jesse's favorite part of this season since he challenged oh. all of us to a Cyber Monday off uh, just a few days ago. Because yeah, about- sheep.
16: It was a joke. I, I I sent out the challenge and then I said it, but it was like golf: the lowest score wins. How many cybers did you end up with on Monday?
15: Um, I only had one, and then you wrangled me into buying some new headphones with your your <laughs> super special temptress temptress deals you shared. Um, that was a pretty good deal. And I end up with three actually. I end up with three because oh. I did buy a gift for my wife. But I think so, this I think song, you, this I think song. You win. I, I might have won or lost. I don't know. You lost. You lost. Um, but I think this song speaks to that completely. And I don't know if you guys have a favorite line that you'd want to pull out of it um, as, as you kind of glance through the lyrics. But um, I just think the imagery of like beating the shit out of Santa Claus because he won't give you hard, cold, hard cash is everything that is rushing stores on Black Friday and being pissed at people because they won't tell you what they want, what because you won't tell them what you want for Christmas, which is my least favorite thing ever. Is when people get mad because I don't know what I want when they <laughs> ask me. Yeah,
16: I just love. I just love every single line. Is just clearly uh, super tongue in cheek and just poking and prodding consumerism massively. It's great.
9: Yeah, that's um, totally true. Um, but in the uh, one of the last lines. kind of takes a mm, more pragmatic or I don't know exactly how you'd say it, but they finish it off with have yourself a Merry, Merry Christmas, have yourself a good time, but remember the kids who got nothing while you're drinking down your wine. So I think they are taking a, a poke at like this idea or like this approach we have to Christmas where we're like trying to get, 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 you know, give me stuff. Cause that's what American Christmas is all about. Right. Just giving gifts and getting gifts. Yeah uh, We gotta remember that there are kids out there That are getting, are getting shit this Christmas
15: Right And in true punk rock fashion Like the hook in the chorus of the song is um, We'll beat you up if you don't hand it over We want your bread so don't make us annoyed Give all the toys to the little rich boys Which I think is perfect Like oh, they absolutely. can keep it They can keep your jolliness They can have it We're just gonna kick your ass and take your wallet Merry Christmas from the Punk Tree.
17: When I was young, I believed in Santa
2: Claus, though no, I knew it was my dad. And I would hang up my stockings
1: at Christmas, open my presents and I'd be glad. But the last of
17: a dream for the Christmas, I stood outside the department store. A gang a kid came over and got me, and knocked my rage into the floor.
2: For the Christmas, give us some money Don't mess around, we grow silly toys We'll beat you up if you don't hand it over
17: We want your friends so don't make us annoyed Give all the toys to the little rich boys
18: Ho, 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 it's Ryan and Joe. We're delighted to bring you one of our favorite Christmas songs for this Pantheon podcast holiday special. Our podcast, Highway Hi-Fi, is all about exploring the lesser-known artists, genres, and trends through music's most enduring artifact, the vinyl record. So in this spirit, we want to share a song you probably know, but a version you probably haven't heard. Red Red Meats' interpretation of Dr. Seuss's Welcome Christmas from the 1966 TV special How the Grinch Stole Christmas.
19: Now, most people are more familiar with the thorough Ravenscroft banger version of You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch. But it's the intro and outro of the TV special that's the linchpin for the entire story. A fantastically nonsensical tune sung out with glee and merriment by all the Who's down in Hooville, called Welcome Christmas. The music was written by Albert Haig, who was an old pro on the musical circuit. But the actual lyrics, mostly Latin-sounding gibberish, were penned by Mr. Geisel himself. Or, is that? Dr. Geisel. The animated special wasn't long enough to fill a full half hour, so the duo worked out a few filler songs, which of course turned out to be some of the most memorable parts of the Christmas classic.
18: Fast forward 30 years to the mecca of indie music at that moment, Chicago. Blues-influenced alt-rock band Red Red Meat released their final studio album, There's a Star Above the Manger Tonight, which was a not-quite-fully-realized Christmas-themed LP. The album didn't live up to their previous effort, Bunny gets paid, and the band folded soon after. Before that, though, they released a single for the title track. The A-side has the beautiful grime of a found 78, but it's the B-side that shines the brightest. It's an experimental, drunken deconstruction of the classic Seuss Carroll. It shambles and staggers from beginning to end, teetering through a journey that shouldn't have even started, but we hope never ends.
19: Red Red Meat frontman Tim Ruddily went on to form Caliphone and has since found some post-rock cred, but nothing that we've heard by them will ever match the off-kilter charm and boingy swish of Welcome Christmas. Pacific Northwest's capitalist grunge-meister label Subpop still has the 45 on sale at their website for a mere $3.75, probably left over from the original pressing run that no one wanted, much like the Grinch, sitting alone in his mountain, stewing.
18: So a bit of the song we now shall for you play, hoping your heart will grow three sizes today. Gullet your green eggs and suck down your nog. At least it isn't Silent Night in the style of Prague. We'll leave you now with this pretty Noel. And please, don't listen to Billy Joel.
19: (laughs) We want to thank Corey from the Song Facts Podcast for inviting us to participate. Welcome Christmas indeed.
17: I'm Andrew G. J. from the Tunes from Turtle Island podcast. I'm naming the EP Yuletide by Grant Lee Phillips as my Xmas choice, and specifically the last track, Auld Lang Syne. is a festival historically observed by the Germanic peoples and celebrates the Mudranecht or Night of the Mothers, the Wild Hunt, and a deity much older than Christ, the Norse god Odin. Old Angsine is a traditional farewell to the old year on New Year's Eve. It is also sung at graduations as an ending to other occasions and at funerals. The Scottish poet Matthew Fitt in his retelling of fairy tales uses the phrase in the days of Old Angsyne as the equivalent of once upon a time. And fairy tales originate from myths which are also called creation stories by many peoples. Grant Lee Phillips has Cherokee and Creek Native American heritage. This is pertinent to this story because I only play music on the show made by indigenous music makers from Turtle Island. To quote Phillips on his album Widdershins, which incidentally means to proceed counterclockwise, he said, St. Augustine said the wicked walk in circles. And I thought, I have no problem with that. Sign me up with the witches then, if that means moving in step with nature. Both Yuletide and Old Anxay have a direct connection to the distant past, but also a connection to the future. By singing out the old year, you are welcoming in the new year of growth. Really, both occasions should be celebrated on the 20th or 21st of December, as that is when the sun starts to creep slowly back to the northern hemisphere and nature starts to renew itself. So I bid you all a happy solstice and new year.
10: Song facts, listeners. This is Rachel Oaks. I'm one of the co-hosts of the Story Song podcast, right here on the Pantheon Network. You know there are a lot of holiday story songs out there, but one of my favorites, along with my co-hosts Dan and Michael, is "Same Old Lang Syne" by Dan Fogelberg. It's got everything you want. It's got a meet cute at a grocery store, drinking in a car, an awkward conversation. If you don't know the song, it is about Dan Fogelberg running into his old girlfriend in a grocery store on Christmas Eve. They talk for a bit in the store, then they try to find a bar that's open, but they cannot because it's Christmas Eve. So they just drink a six-pack in her car, reminisce, and then she drives away, leaving him there, and they never see each other again, I guess. The thing I love the most about this song is that it is completely autobiographical. It's not based on something. It's not kind of tidbits here and there. It is nearly a beat-for-beat retelling of what happened that night. Uh, Dan Fogelberg, unfortunately, passed away in 2007. But after he passed away, the ex-girlfriend from the song came out and confirmed that they did reconnect in 1975 on Christmas Eve in their hometown of Peoria, Illinois. And the encounter happened just as he said, except for two points. Her eyes are green, they're not blue, and her husband was not an architect, but a P.E. teacher. Which is interesting because in that same line where he mentions his occupation, he quotes her as saying she didn't love her husband, so I guess that part was spot on. Another great detail about this song is that in the beginning, you'll hear what sounds like the 1812 Overture because it is the 1812 Overture. Uh, It was not a coincidence. Uh, Apparently, he did it just to mess with his musician friends. Uh, Dan Fogelberg had a sense of humor, I guess. Uh, Even the song title, Same Old Lang Syne, is a pun. And he thought it was kind of funny. But then he realized that there was a deeper meaning behind it. Um this song is really terrific start to finish it is kind of schmaltzy but really wonderful it feels like a sweater in song form and it's perfect for the holidays i enjoy it i'm sure you will enjoy it too My own lover in the grocery store The snow was falling Christmas Eve.
5: I stole be- When her eyes flew open wide, she went to...
6: Well, hello, this is Cecily from the Strange Phenomena, the Music of Kate Bush podcast. This is the podcast that I host, and I am going through every single song that my favorite artist, Kate Bush, has ever produced and ever done. So thinking of holiday songs, there are actually two holiday songs that Kate has done. One of them is called Home for Christmas, the other is is my personal favorite of the two, and it's December Will Be Magic Again. Not just because I host a Kate Bush podcast, but of course, I love this little song. I've loved it since I've heard it. What I especially am taken by are the lyrics. I feel like the lyrics are really pretty and sweet and whimsical it's got this also in the music there's a lot of shifting around it doesn't ever stay in one place Kate really takes you on a journey with this song and makes you feel like you're kind of there it's like just like the sweeping snow and everything just kind of coming in together what's interesting about this song is that it was first performed on the Christmas no time special you can find it In places on YouTube and Vimeo and other places. And in that performance, Kate is in a red suit. She's in a wicker chair and occasionally using imitation snow to emphasize a few of the lines from the song. And then six days later, UK audiences got to see her perform it at the piano for the Kate Bush Christmas special. And then We didn't even get to hear it as a fully produced single version until almost a year later in November of 1980. So we had to wait a while in order to get that song. You can go and buy it in the shop. I, like I said, I love this little song. I don't feel like it is really winter without it. It's got the pretty little sleigh bells in it there. And for me, December really is like this really magical part of the year i mean things are darker but also there's just a lot of mystery and everything in it and i feel like kate really brings that out in this lovely little song so hopefully for you maybe december will be magic again i know it certainly is for me when i hear this song
4: Welcome to Crime In Music. This week is special. It's a holiday special. Holiday? What holiday, Brian? Well, it's the holiday season, and we're going to cover Good King Quince's Sloss at the Feast of Stephen. Can you say that name slowly for the audience? Wenceslas. Sloss. Wenceslas. September 28th, 935, Wenceslas I, or Valklav the Good, was the Duke of Bohemia, what we called Czech Republic. Now, in 921, when Wenceslas was about 13, his father died and his grandmother came the region of the land. Jealous of the influence wielded over Wenceslas, his mom, Diomira, arranged to have his grandmother killed.
18: That sounds like a family problem.
4: So September 15th, 921, Grandma was at Tenant Castle near Barone when assassins murdered her. She was strangled with her own veil.
5: Yeah.
4: Mom Diorama then assumed the role of the regent. and so when Wenceslas was 18, Christian nobles rebelled against his mom. Diorama is sent to exile in Buddek. With the support of the nobles, Wenceslas took control of the government to prevent disputes between him and his younger brother, Boleslav. They divided the country between them. September 935, though, a group of nobles, they plot to kill Wenceslaw. Boleslav. Now, after Boleslav uh, invited Wenceslav to the feast, of Saint Kamas and Damian in Star Boleslav, three Boleslavian companions fell on the duke, stabbed him to death. The duke falls. Boleslav runs him through with the lance. His own brother. Um, when when's Krampus get here? He's coming soon. Due to this reputation for heroic virtue that resulted in his uh, elevation to sainthood, he's posthumously declared king and became the patron saint of the Czech state. This is subject to the well-known "Good King Wenceslas" Christmas carol. That is uh, for Saint Stephen's Day. So, if you like that story, and want to hear more. Check us out wherever you get your podcasts, and like the song says, "Never trust a big button, a smile." So that was our Christmas
18: one.
20: I'm Dave.
8: I'm Holly. And we are the hosts of the What Difference Does It Make podcast.
20: So we've been talking about trying to figure out a favorite holiday song. And for me, it is Fairy Tale of New York by the Pogues and Kirsty McCall. When I initially brought this up with Holly, she had no idea what the song was.
8: Oh my god. I, I'm mortified. However, now I know everything there is to possibly know about this song and I love it. And I too would choose it as one of my favorite holiday songs.
20: If it makes you feel any better, I did Google it and it's there was a question saying, Do do Americans know the Christmas song Fairy Tale of New York? And the, the answer is it was never a mainstream hit. So unless you were into Irish music or punk or enjoy kind of obscure Christmas music, you likely won't know this song. The reason that I uh, enjoy this song, it, it's it's like a movie to me. It's uh, if someone asked me what my favorite Christmas movie is, uh, I might just point you to this song because it kind of plays out like a like a movie.
8: It does, but the video is integral to that. I mean, you can love the song and the song in your head plays out like a movie, but the visually the, the video is beautiful.
20: So you just watched the video, didn't you? I haven't seen the video in a long time. You want to, uh, what do you, what do oh, you, Oh, th- I love it? Do-
8: it's the black and white and it plays out the, it, it plays out the song uh, visually. And I love that Matt Dillon is the cop. There you go. I got to say that's my, anything with Matt Dillon in it, I would be a fan.
20: Sure. So like all great uh, Christmas songs, this opens up uh, as our main character is in the drunk tank and uh, he's recovering from celebrating because his his horse came in 18 to 1 and he's he's feeling good that this is going to be his year. And then, of course, he passes out and he starts to dream. And then they go back in as all great Christmas movies. They go, they reminisce about what Christmas was like back in the day. And they're in New York City. Sinatra was swinging all the drunks. They were singing. We kissed on a corner, then danced through the night. I love that visual right right away. It's, you know, there you go. Life is wonderful. And then it all goes to hell. (laughs) (laughs) Cut to the present. And first, Kirstie comes in with a dose of reality saying you're a bum, you're a punk. And then Shane chimes in, you're an old slut on junk. And so of course, you know, there you go. There's, there's some uh, great Christmas uh, lyrics right there. Speaking
8: of lyrics, there are a few words in there that some outlets some radio outlets chose to censor. And then some did not because she uses some words that, that, uh, that she felt she did not want to change and Shane McGowan did not want to change ultimately because they felt it was as if uh, someone would speak like speak like that of the time. So I appreciate that sentiment, even though the words are a little harsh today.
20: Yeah, even today, there was a I guess last year, a BBC radio presenter said that uh, fairy tale of New York is uh, an offensive pile of downmarket market Shav bilge. Shav is a British pejorative term used to describe an antisocial lower class youth dressed in sportswear. So I guess that's offensive. So the whole topic in itself. Right. This song is apparently it makes a lot of money for Shane and the Pogues because it earns more than Bing Crosby's White Christmas, Last Christmas by Wham, and Paul McCartney's Wonderful Christmas. So it's it's a number one song in the UK. Everyone loves it.
8: I have an addendum to that. Okay, so the song was released in 1987, originally. Even though it was uh, uh, written in 1985, it was released in 87. Do you know why it did not get to number one at that time? Uh, the num- the Christmas, the number one Christmas song at the time, which we know is a big deal in the UK. Do you nope. know why? Um,
20: no, what was standing in its way?
8: It was the Pet Shop Boys, the cover of Always On My Mind.
20: Very good.
8: Shane McGowan was reported to have said at the time, we were beaten by two queens and a drum machine.
20: Oh, yeah. Okay. One of my favorites, Fairytale of New York by the Pogues and Kirsty McCall.
8: And I'll be a new to the table fan, but it is also one of my favorites.
17: Pretty queen of New York City When, when the band, band finished playing, playing They held up for more Sinatra
2: was swinging Chops All the drums we were swingin'. singing We kissed on the corner Then danced through the night The boys of the Envoy Pini Coil Were singing all the no back And the bells are <laughs> ringing out For Christmas Day